Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. And we're here with an OTA observation episode. And the reason it's the OTA observation episode is because I'm basically coming from straight off the field from OTA number three on Thursday morning. And I'm coming and I'm bringing you what I saw, the player that impressed me the most. We'll get that to, to you later. Uh, an update on what I saw from Daniel Jones. And also, we're going to talk a lot about the Giants' offensive line here in this episode. And I'm going to explain to you why I don't think they are as bad as some people seem to think they're going to be. And call me, you know, Mr. Optimism is back. I mean, this is this is such a, a role reversal for me here, right? I'm, I'm being looked at as Mr. Optimist, which is a crazy concept in uh, Giants land over here. And also, we're going to talk to one of the offensive linemen. Uh, Shane Lemieux is going to join us later. I think you guys will enjoy that. Uh, he's an, uh, an interesting guy, and not only as an individual, but also as a player. I mean, fifth-round pick, played a bunch last year, now kind of being penciled into that starting lineup. So we'll talk to Shane Lemieux. And then later on in this episode, I'm going to explain – why I felt the need, if you go look on Twitter, to defend Ben McAdoo. And I know a lot of you don't like to hear that. But yes, I felt the need to defend McAdoo. And I will explain it in a little bit later on in this episode. But let's start off with some of the things that we saw at OTAs today. Okay, OTA number three. There's eight total. Then there'll be a rookie mini camp later this spring. There was a lot of guys not there. There was like about 65-ish guys on the field, another five or six around inside the building, tending to injuries, recovering, rehab, whatever. So that would give you about 70 out of the 90 guys here. Now, the 20 guys that weren't here, I'm not going to list everyone because remember, this is voluntary. They don't have to, means that they don't have to show up if they don't want to. And so... I'm not going to sit here and name all the guys who weren't there as if to take a, a full attendance, but it is worth noting that most of the new acquisitions, the veterans, they were not around. And a couple of the draft picks weren't around either, but I don't know. We don't know the reason why, right? They could have not wanted to come. They could have had a life event that they needed to attend to back at home. Uh, they could have had anything. They could have a dentist appointment. Remember uh, Odell missed uh, a couple of practices, had a dental appointment, or, or I think I think it was Odell uh, a few years back. But anyway, th that's why I'm not going to sit here and list to you the guys that weren't there. But it is notable that some of these guys weren't there. The entire secondary pretty pretty much wasn't there. Uh, most of the key defensive players, aside from Blake Martinez, they weren't really in attendance. So this is more for the young guys, okay? They, you get them on the field, you get them to rep some of these you know, calls and the defense and hear the verbiage, and then it lets them play freer and faster come training camp. So that's really the main purpose of these OTAs. But it also gives us a little hint about what we might see. And what, some of the things that stuck out to me, we're going to go over right now. First, I want to start with this. It's pretty clear the Giants want Matt Parrott to start at right tackle. You saw him playing next to Will Hernandez, who was at right guard. Then Nick Gates uh, alongside Shane Lemieux. And then I'm trying to make sure I got this right. 
Yeah, Shane Lemieux and Andrew Thomas were then on the left side. So if you had a guess right now, that probably would be your projected starting offensive line for the Giants. They spent a lot of time together today at practice at OTAs. And I've heard a lot of good things about Matt Parrott lately. That I mean, the Giants always liked that he was long. He just looked like an offensive tackle, right? I mean, he had that the long arms, the big body, moved well, good feet. I heard he looks pretty good, though, physically, even better. He's even more put together, you know, jacked up, like really just looks like a physical specimen, which is a positive for the Giants. Because remember, they have Nate Solder on the roster still, but they would like Matt Pair to develop into that quality offensive tackle, starting offensive tackle. And it's possible. And this is why I think the Giants' offensive line is better than some people think. Like, they're, oh, their offensive line is going to be terrible. And I agree. There's reason to be concerned. They have five players on the offensive line that all come with some questions, right? Will Hernandez hasn't played up to the potential that he was as a second-round pick. Uh, Shane Lemieux struggled a little bit in pass protection as a rookie. A little bit might even be an understatement in that regard. Um, Andrew Thomas, rocky, rocky rookie year, no doubt. First half was bad. Matt Parrott, we don't know much about. Nick Gates, first year as a, a starting center last year. Never played center before. So there's a lot to be concerned about there. But the likelihood is some of these guys, and it's not it's not realistic to think, oh, they're all going to get better. No, some guys will get better. Some guys might stay the same. Some guys might regress. So let's say the reality is two guys get better, two guys stay the same and are below average players, and one, you know, uh, is okay. But that means that some, at least one or two guys is likely out of the five is likely to make that jump. You know, they don't have a guy that you say, okay, we know, uh, you know, Teron Armstead on the Saints. We know this guy's a stud. You know, we know what he is. He's going to come into the season. We know he's a stud left tackle. The Giants don't have that really in any position. But they're going to get better in some spots. You don't see them getting much worse in any of the other spots. It would be hard for me to think anybody from last year was significantly worse. Like, is Shane Lemieux really going to be worse? Maybe he's the same, but I don't think he's going to get worse. So the line, while I don't think it's going to be good, I think it could be decent. Maybe a little below average. But some people... And you look at the names and you look at it from an outside position, you say, oh, they're going to be terrible. It's going to be the worst line in the league. I don't think that's realistic. I really don't. So uh, another thing that was notable, and Joe Judge mentioned it afterwards, he said running back is a position. And I wrote about this earlier in the week. Running back is a position where you they wanted to get a lot of depth. And that brings us to Saquon Barkley for a second. He wasn't out on the field. He's been around the building. Inside rehabbing, California, uh, Arizona, going well so far. Everything I hear is progressing well. But the reality is he suffered a serious knee injury. And you got to start greasing the skids for this. I mean, I, I, I started to realize as I started to talking to people more, this is kind of how it's going to go. They're going to take him and bring him back slowly. He's coming off a ser serious knee injury. It doesn't make sense. If he's a long-term fixture here, and I, that's the intention, is that Saquon Barkley is a long-term fixture with the Giants, that they take him and throw him out on the field and say, okay, go out there, play. Here we go. You know, 100% of the snaps, week one. No, they're going to bring him along slowly. You're not going to see him in live drills maybe till the end of the summer. Who knows? You're not going to see him at the beginning of training camp just jump in there and be doing going full go. 
I really just don't see that happening. It might even stretch into the end of the summer, into the season. The Giants are thinking long range with him, not just, okay, we need him for week one. Week one's so important. He's not going to be out there running his 85% of the snaps. Last year, week one, I looked it up, 87% of the snaps. There is no way, 0% chance, Saquon Barkley in week one of this season is going to play 87% of the snaps. Maybe 50 to 65, I think is realistic. But 85, 90% of the snaps, not realistic of a guy coming off a major knee injury in the position that he was last year as you know he was the centerpiece of their offense. They want him to be a centerpiece of their offense moving forward. So you don't, the week one, week two, that's not mandatory you have him out there for those games every single play. So that's why they signed Devontae Booker. They like him. They like the fact that he's a three-down guy, kind of running back. That was key. That was the difference between how they viewed him and Wayne Gallman. Then they went out inside Corey Clement, a guy that they could use in a variety of different roles. You saw pass catcher in the Super Bowl for the Eagles. Can play some special teams. They signed, They claimed, I should say, Ryquel uh, Armstead from the Jaguars. They drafted Gary Brightwell. So just adding to that running back mix. And you saw it out there today. It's very interesting. You just saw these other guys out there. Because when Saquon's not out there, team looks very different. So at least if you have a bunch of guys, which now it seems that the Giants do have more options, that is something that they wanted to do. Uh, Daniel Jones threw the ball well, looks big and strong. Uh, you saw that last offseason, too. You know, he, he kind of went to the gym and worked out. And, you know, and Joe Judge said it. And this is partly why the Giants are in love with him. And they're sold on him long term or has the potential to be their long-term quarterback, is they just raved again today about the way that he works. The way that he works every day, whether whatever phase of the offseason they're in, whatever they're doing, whether it's in the weight room, on the field, in the classroom, the way he works really stands out to Joe Judge and company. Another good sign for the Giants was that you saw Lorenzo Carter out there. Lorenzo Carter, remember, tore his Achilles early in the year. So seeing, I was actually a bit surprised because, I don't know, he tears his Achilles in September and we're in, what, May? So that's like three, four months to the end of the year, and then May is is like five. So you're talking eight, nine months out, and Lorenzo Carter's on the field and moving well from an Achilles injury. Achilles is some a lot of times a 12-month injury. So for that to be the case, I mean, that's very optimistic. I mean, good – that's a good sign for Lorenzo Carter in his return. Now, remember, last year was supposed to be the year. Lorenzo Carter was going to blow up. It didn't work out. He got injured. Some other guys I thought looked pretty well. Dante Pettis was in good shape. He was moving well. He looked, looked really quick out there. Um, Blake Martinez called Aziz Ojolari freaky, which I thought was interesting. He, he did say he made some play, a bunch of plays, kind of stood out to him, but then kind of reminded everyone, hey, it's only you're only talking about uh, OTAs. Don't you? You can't make too much of it, and that's true. You can't make too much of it. Now, who impressed the most? This was kind of surprising. I didn't come here thinking that this is what I would see, but Evan Ingram was getting the ball a ton. They were throwing to him, and yes, he caught every ball that was thrown in his direction. But this is sort of like the tease that Evan Ingram is when Evan Ingram is playing in shorts. With no, you know, in shorts and and t-shirt basically and underwear, as like they like to say at these OTAs and 
in the spring, that's when he's at his best. It's when he's getting popped and hit in the mouth that things seem to go awry for him. So, uh, other observations out there. Oh, Madre Harper's a guy I've heard a bunch about so far here early in the offseason program as looking good. Uh, really, he was one of the only cornerbacks out there today, the secondary. They had their own little thing in Florida recently, so you didn't see many of them out here. Madre Harper was one of the few that was actually here from the secondary. You're talking about a guy who joined the Giants, mm, I guess, to be sometime early last season. Uh, big guy, physically. Looks really good uh, and supposedly has has done well so far. So maybe just keep an eye on him. Danny Shelton, okay? Holy cow. Danny Shelton is gigantic. I mean, there's no way. To, hold on. Let's see what they list Danny Shelton. First of all, we're at number 75 in the middle of the line. They list him at 345. I would take the over on 345 for Danny Shelton. If you told me he was like 370, it wouldn't surprise me. Now, is that a good sign for the Giants? Does that mean he's out of shape? overweight i don't know it's hard to tell making a judgment of a guy standing in clothes from 100 yards away but holy cow even if he's 345 or 375 the dude is mammoth i mean he makes dalvin tomlinson whose place he's essentially taking look like uh a cornerback i mean he is not the biggest guy Sheldon. unless that's six two he is so wide holy cow now i understand why he could clog the middle of the field i mean he is just huge. Speaking of huge, Kelvin Benjamin for a, a wide receiver would be considered huge. And that's why the Giants continue. I didn't see him t- do anything really with the wide receivers. Continue to seem to be working with him and with the tight ends, which we kind of knew, but this was a little bit affirmation of what we saw at rookie minicamp. And we thought would be the case moving forward. Now we know it's the case. Like there, he is full blown tight end. You know, uh, Booger McFarland once said on the Monday Night Football telecast that Danny, uh, that Kelvin Benjamin was one Popeye's biscuit away from being a tight end. Well, he's there because he's playing tight end now. Not that he looked fat, but I'm just saying he's he's a bigger wide receiver. Would be a big wide receiver. He's listed at 245. Also, not sorry, not also because. It's 100 pounds less. but So he's listed at 245. 6'5", 245, Kelvin Benjamin. That's pretty much tight end size, 245. I mean, what, what do we think? What, what is Evan Ingram? Evan Ingram is 6'3", 240. So Kelvin Benjamin is weighs more than Evan Ingram. Now, granted, the weight is distributed a bit differently. Benjamin's actually taller. But you get the point. So that's pretty much... Most of my OTA observations, uh, some of the punt returners, Dante Pettis, Sterling Shepard wearing number three. You almost looks a little weird out there. Got to get, got to get used to that. Uh, CJ Board, Darius Slayton, Darius Tony was not here, so he was not part of that group. I expect when he is here, he'll be part. Of, he would be part of that group. Jabril Peppers also remember he wasn't here. Also, remember, like I said, most of the secondary wasn't here. Uh, he's a punt returner, so that seems to be the group that's going to be back there during training camp. We'll see how that pans out. Certainly gives the Giants a lot of options as punt returners. Some pretty good options. I mean, I, I'm curious to see Dante Pettis get back there as a punt returner. Kadarius Tony a little bit too, and they already know what they have in in Jabril Peppers, who's 
I think is a pretty good punt returner as well. So, um, working alongside Blake Martinez in the middle of the defense was uh, Tate Crowder. I think it looks like he's going to get the first crack at being that starting inside linebacker, kind of where he finished last season. Uh, Lorenzo Carter and Ellison Smith, pretty impressive duo on the edges in regards to body type, long, big guys. Uh, those two guys together, when they stand next to each other, you're like, wow, those are two impressive looking physical specimens. Uh, let's see what else. I think that's for the most part it. Uh, we'll see what happens when we get back out here in a few days, but really it all goes back to, we got the whole offensive line seemed to be here. All the offensive line, even Nate Solder from the, the veterans to the rookies, uh, you know, Brett Hagee, one of the undrafted rookies. He was playing center. The other guy from Baylor, um, got to look up his name. It's uh, escaping me at the moment. Oh, Jake Burton. He was playing, I believe it was right guard. So that's kind of where they're going to slot in and get an opportunity. But the starting offensive line, or at least the, the, the guys that are the expected projected starters, the fact that we saw them on the field working together most of the time, that was one of the most notable things. And one of the guys that was there is who we're going to talk to right now as part of that group. So on to the next one. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. All right. Let's bring in our guest this week. We're talking to Shane Lemieux, Giants' second-year guard, number 66. That, that had to be a strategic number, right? I mean, you don't just end up with, with the number 66 when your name is Lemieux. I'm sure I'm sure it probably had something to do with it with Mario Lemieux, but uh, I did not choose the number, but, you know, I'm more than happy to have it. Wait, really? That had nothing to do with you, the number? No, I, I didn't choose it. I was, that was given to me. I was 68 in college, and then uh, – First day I showed up, they said you weren't in 66, and that was that. Was that. <laughs> you, you, you had to figure at that point, I mean, it's just going to perpetuate the whole, you know, Lemieux thing with, uh, you know, with Mario Lemieux, obviously, wore number 66 and that whole. I mean, you, you, you do get that plenty, right? I mean, you're, you're sick of that oh, yeah. already. People are yeah, like, yeah, like, I hear. They're like, oh, like Mario. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, everyone asked me. Everyone asked me if, uh, if I'm related to him. Some people call me Mario. And uh, funny enough, when I was in college, I played next to Tyrell Crosby. So yeah, it was Crosby and Lemieux. Everyone made a big deal out of that, too. So I I've heard it all. You. Jokes, I think he was everything. sitting on the bench next to him or something. They had a picture. Yep. Yep. You and Crosby next to each other. You got yep, to be that was that. that, though, right? Huh? No, it's it's whatever. I get it. I understand it. Uh, you know, I, I've recently became a hockey fan. So uh, I'm kind of understanding it more, I guess. <laughs> Have you ever watched Mario Lemieux? Mario Lemieux was like... I mean, he was basically Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, that, he was he was at that level. Like he, you know, he was. You name the best player in the NHL now. Like that was Mario, I and mean, he was he was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, I bet. 
Well, you know, I get, I get the same thing. It's like uh, Jordan Ron on. Oh, like Ron on sentence. Ha ha. Yeah. You know, I'm like, yeah, that's <laughs> never heard that before. Ha ha ha. You got one. it. Yeah. You got me. But you're, you're a better man than me of, of taking the uh, Shane Lemieux, Mario Lemieux hockey <laughs> end of it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, we'll get to the football part of it. Right. Year two. You feeling different? Does it see? Does everything seem different? I know that rookie year usually for guys is just hectic because you go and think about it. You're going from college to training to the for the you know for the combine to the draft, and then you're just like right into it. Rookie mini camp, you're trying to learn, and then plus the whole pandemic part of it in general. Uh, it's got to feel. How much different does it feel for you? You know, it's it's nice. Um, last year we didn't have OTAs. We're doing most of the virtual stuff. So, you know, whether you're an in-person learner or you can learn over Zoom, you basically had to make it work. And when you we came here, you expect to know the offense. Um, so this year, having the OTAs and knowing the guys in the room, having some familiarity with the offense, it's it's really nice. You know, last year, I feel like my head was spinning a little bit in training camp. Uh, people move a lot faster. Obviously, there's better athletes, new system, new coaches, new techniques. Um, I feel like, you know, my feet are a little, you know, beneath me this year. And I feel like I'm more um, adjusted to what's going on in the building. I know the faces in the room. And, you know, more importantly, I know the O-line, the team. And uh, all of that. So I definitely feel like it's, I'm not, my head's not spinning quite as much. Year two then, right? You go in, was there any doubt? Like you hear all the stuff about the OTAs and whether you guys are going to still show up and have them. The first opportunity, I assume a guy like you, considering you said how important it is for you to be here, you were going to be there? Yeah, you know, I think um, I, I I wanted, you know, I didn't really necessarily know all the um what was going on with the NFL and all that kind of stuff. So I had it on my calendar marked that I was going to be here. Just, I was assuming it was going to happen. Um, and I showed up, you know, and uh, yeah, I wanted to be here. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's, 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 it's like a divide because the young guys kind of need it. It's the older, more established veteran guys who it's less vital to, of course, you know what I mean? You know, there, there's definitely more of a benefit to the younger guys and for your development. So you're kind of caught in the middle and, and it's a, it's a weird, weird position for, for guys to be in, no doubt. So uh, what has it been like to be in the building so far this year? Is it, is it different, different with the, even the, the protocols that you have to go through? I mean, you you could just walk around now more normally, I assume, than, than even during yeah. the season. Yeah. You know, it's, it's good to be back. Uh, it's good just to see, you know, my teammates it's, I haven't seen them, you know, I'm coming from college. So we're basically always together. We get a week off here and there, but we had basically four months off with, you know, no, no physical contact. Uh, so to seeing, you know, seeing the guys you play with, it's a special bond, the teammates with the teammates you have and just seeing their faces and uh, the COVID restrictions are obviously, you know, they're, go, they're getting a little little uh, easier, I guess. So we're actually able to hang out a little bit, get to know each other more, and just build more relationships. You still have to mask in the building? Um, if you're vaccinated, it's kind of 50-50. You know, I, I honestly, I, I think the rules the NFL put out is that there's no mask if you're vaccinated. Um, and then they went back, I don't know, state rules. That's, that's, that's above my pay grade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's all, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of like yeah. gray area in there. So for you as a player, for you personal, you know, preference, uh, because there is different rules for vaccinated players, does that make you more likely to then for you personally want to do it for, when you're talking about your choice? 
yeah, you know, for me, health wise, I obviously wanted, I wanted to get the vaccine. Um, you know, it's, it's makes, it might, makes life a lot easier. I think, especially for me, not having to wear the mask, not having physical distance and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But obviously everyone has their personal choice. Um, and you know, with me, I've, I chose to get the vaccine. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I, I didn't feel stro- that strongly about it probably one way or the other. Uh, but then you realize, okay, the comfort level and your ability to do certain things and work wise might be contingent on, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go. I'll, I'll definitely that like pushed me in the other direction. Right. I was probably going to get it anyway, but it definitely pushes you. I feel like in that other direction. So yeah. what's, what's the vibe like in that offensive line room? We'll say we're here in what mid May, late May. Yeah. Describe, describe you know, think, the vibe in that room. I think we're all just excited. You know, we got some new faces in the room. Um, we got a lot of guys coming back. We got a young room. We have some veterans now. Um, and I think it's, it's, we're, there's a lot of excitement and uh, we're, we're just working hard, man. We're trying to get better. Uh, we got a really good group and uh, you know, we're just going on the field every day, just trying to get a little bit better, you know, mastering the offense even more and uh, just, you know, just preparing for a good season. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and BS you. There's a lot of people out there that are doubters of that room. I mean, I don't know how much you hear of it. I, I think it's probably unrealistic to be completely shielded from it. Uh, but there's people that are concerned about the offensive line of, of this team. You're still really young line. I mean, from left to right, you could start. You know, uh, no nobody who's had really more than like I, I guess I guess Will Hernandez and and uh, Nick Gates are your veterans. If if Matt Parrott starts at right tackle potentially, so there's doubters out there. How do you guys sort of take that in at this point? Do you do you completely ignore it? Do you use it as like a chip on your shoulder? What's what's the approach? You know, um, I think one of the biggest things just coming in to the NFL and coming into especially like New York, a media market like New York is, you really just got to worry about yourself, you know, and kind of block out that noise and everything like that obviously we want to be the best we can be and we want to grind every single day, but um, just try to avoid all the outside noise and really just focus on what we need to do, you know, and just getting better personally as a unit, you know, and then as a, as a team. What do you, what do you think of the new coaches? I mean, you guys got some new coaches in that room, right? Rob sale. He's coming from Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, I believe Freddie kitchens will also be involved in that room. Pat Flaherty. I don't know if you, how much, what kind of interaction you've had with him so far. Uh, he's, a, yeah, we have, yeah, we have, uh, we have, we have some really good online coaches. You know, we got Rob sale who is, uh, he was at Louisiana Lafayette and he has connections with, uh, my head coach, coach Cristobal at Oregon. Um, so there's, there's a lot of carryover with the drills that we're doing. Uh, I love it. Everything so far. Coach flats obviously has coach Flaherty has a lot of knowledge. He's been in this game. He's been in this program, this organization for a long time. So he's seen a lot of stuff. Guys like Sean so O'Hara is he around on a regular back. basis? Yeah, yeah, he is. Okay. I just wasn't then, sure as a consultant how yeah. much he would be actually dealing with you guys day to day. Yeah, you know, it's he offers a lot of really good advice. We have Coach Ben Wilkerson, who's obviously great. And then uh, Coach Freddie's also helping us, which is, you know, all hands on deck. It's, it's, it's nice to have a lot of voices in the room. Is it nice to feel like, I mean, last year was kind of a little rocky for that room in regards to they might've asked you to do different things in the second half of the season when you, you know, after you made a a coaching change in the room, than the first half. So do you feel there's a continuation of kind of what you were doing late last year, or is it sort of starting, starting over scrapping it again? 
No, I think I think everything has carryover, especially in the offensive line uh, position. You have, you know, tight zones blocked the same as wide zone, and pretty much carryover for a lot of the line coaches. Techniques are a little different, honestly, but um, it's just you know every single time there's a new coach, you got to adjust the techniques and learn the techniques that they're teaching, uh, so you can work cohesively on the line. So obviously, there's some technique stuff and all that kind of stuff, but you know, it's just uh, just getting used to the verbiage and the way uh, Coach Sale is coaching stuff. So yeah, okay. So you let's look back for a second to last year for you. You look at yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you stepped back this off season, sort of did a little self assessment. Uh, but what's your year one review for Shane Lemieux? You know, I think I accomplished a lot of the things that I wanted to accomplish. Um, I felt like I got better every single day. And that was one of my main goals is just to keep getting better throughout this the season, just like continuous improvement. Um, and just, you know, it gave me a lot of things to learn for this next upcoming year in which I'm excited to, you know, kind of put it on the field this year. Uh, it, you know, everything's a learning experience. And I felt like I learned a ton. So that was the biggest thing. Does it make a difference to you, left or right guard? No, you know, wherever wherever Coach Sale and Coach Judge wants to put me, um, I want to do the level? best I can. One has to be a little bit no. more comfortable, right? I mean, they, they know no, you. no. Yeah, I think I pride myself on versatility. So I, anywhere the coaches want to put me, I'm ready to go. Do you, uh, do you look at last year and say, you know, I, I held my own or, wow, I need to get better. And then what did you do to sort of do the latter part this offseason. Yeah, I think, I think that I, I put a lot of good stuff on tape and uh, did a lot to help, you know, the team and the unit and the offense go. Um, obviously, rookie year, I'm not making excuses or anything, but I, I want to, you know, obviously there's a lot of things. There's, ever since even college, from year to year, there's a lot of things to improve on every single year. Um, and I have a really good training uh, back in Arizona with offensive line performance with Charles Bentley a lot of good veterans yeah, in the definitely. room learning, picking their brains. Um, and obviously good coaches here in the building that are really, you know, we watch a lot of tape from last year, learning a lot of stuff, you know, looking at, looking at things, you know, flaws in my game from last year and a different perspectives, you know, and looking at how I could change that now we're six months, you know, after the last season. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Is there one thing in specific you could sort of detail like, okay, I need, I was, I was working on this this offseason. I know last year, wasn't perfect. This is something I, I want, you know, your hand placement or, or my feet, you 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 know, your the way you shuffled your feet or a- anything like that in particular. You no, know, I think it's just things probably that every offensive lineman wants to get better, you know, quickness, uh, your hands and just strength in the weight room, flexibility, stuff that kind of I've always been striving to get better at every single year. And, you know, from the majority, probably alignment, they probably say the same thing. So flexibility, pad level, hands and pass protection. Um, and just lateral quickness. Right. Well, I, I have to bring this up, okay? Now, I generally think pro football focus is pretty fair. You know, they, they do a fairly good job of putting some context on stuff that goes on in the field. But they occasionally have fallen to these things where they're, they either love a guy or hate a guy, right? And then the grades sort of reflect that. Not personally. I'm just talking about their game in general. You happen to fall on the, on the negative side of that. I don't know how much you, I, I'm sure somebody has mentioned it to you, but they gave you a 16.9 grade in pass blocking last year. And even when you, it seems like you played a good game and Daniel Jones wasn't hit somehow your pass blocking grade was negative. It was as if Daniel Jones was like getting his leg broken on every play that you were just like, 
taking, you know, you, you were just like taking a nap during pass blocking a time. Like that's how it seems like it's grading. Did you, do you notice that? Do you have anything to say to PFF about their grading system maybe with you, or you, you want to make, you want to make a plea for them to be nicer to you? No, you know, I think, uh, obviously, yeah, I've, I've heard it, you know, it's hard to block out that noise, but at the same time, I'm not really too worried about analytics, statistics and all that kind of stuff. I'm really worried about, you know, what, what the program thinks of me, what the program wants me to do and what, um, they think that I need to improve on, you know, it's, 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 it just comes back to blocking the outside noise. Right. You know, they gave you a zero on game. I'm like, I don't understand how you could get a zero, you know, pass blocking grade. I mean, let's say, yeah, let's say you decided to, <laughs> let's say you decided to take off and every play you would just, you know, have a sandwich or something, you know, take a little water break while they were pass blocking. Like that would be a zero, right. To me, like, I, so I don't understand. It's like, they're saying you didn't block anybody the whole game, which obviously we know is not realistic. Uh, I don't know. You know, I've seen it. I saw the other end. It was a guy named Evan Mathis. And I, I used to cover the Eagles. So Evan Mathis was a good player. I, he, I think he lives in Arizona. You, you, might, you might at one point bump into me. I owns a gym out there, I believe. Uh, but Evan Mathis was a good, solid player. Maybe made a couple Pro Bowls in his career, but PFF every year, man, they graded Evan Mathis was like the top graded guard. And everyone was like, really? Like, and he, so you fall into that category. It's very, it's a very strange thing that they they just like continuously gave you low grades, even though when the offensive line and you guys in general look like you to me, I mean, I'm the untrained guy had a pretty good game. So I don't know. I'll take your back on it. All right. I'm out here. I'm, I'm out here. I'll be your public advocate for PFS. PFF's unfair grading of Shane Lemieux. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what, what's a? I'm, I'm curious. What's it like blocking for Daniel Jones? What's he? What's he like as a person? Has anything about him like surprised you? I mean, when you came in, everyone has like some preconceived ideas of what they're getting, and then you yeah, you know, I really you meet Daniel yeah. Jones. What do you think? He's he's a great guy. He's a great teammate, great leader. Honestly, I have no uh, preconceived notions coming in. You know. I was still trying to get my feet settled in this organization, everything. And uh, I'm very grateful for him. You know, he, he kind of helped me along with the offense. He made me feel more comfortable here. He was one of the first guys I met when I arrived with the giants. So that was, that was really cool of him. You know, he didn't have to do that and he did. So uh, he's a great, great guy, great leader, great vocal leader, strong presence in the huddle, everything like that. He's a great person. It seems like he has that, relationship with you guys as an offensive line in general. I know most quarterbacks do, but it seems like Daniel's pretty close to you guys. I know he's pretty close to Will Hernandez. He's joined you guys on your, you know, postseason trip wherever it was you guys went. Uh it, do you do you get that sense as well that he's like almost like part of that group? Absolutely. And I think that's how it should be. You know, wherever wherever we are, Daniel's there too. Or wherever Daniel's at, we're right there with him. Um, and it's just, you know, it's building, it's building that cohesiveness, you know, cause we have to be able to communicate to each other on the field. And the more we hang out with each other off the field, it'll help that. So, uh, just, just being comfortable with each other is really important. And Daniel does a really great job of hanging out with the guys. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And it seems like as an offensive line group, you guys are, you guys are pretty close as well. You spend a bunch of time with those guys this off season as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, uh, we, we were in Arizona. Uh, together and that was that was great and then you know anytime even even right now every weekend we're together hanging out we're always you have a group text we're always talking and uh that's that's how old linemen are i feel like you know old linemen are always close they're really good buddies 
on and off. It always worked that way. I mean, there's nobody, there's no veterans here, but there was a group a little bit before you guys, and there was a big separation. So it's not always that way. That's why it's worth it's notable that you are that way. This this group. Yeah. Yeah. So you're close with the guys. So we want to know a little bit about this offensive line group, right? So I'm gonna give you a scenario and you tell me which guy, which buddy in the offensive line room you're going to, all right? You are watching film and you need advice. You're going to Ooh. Like, um current roster. Current roster, yeah. Wait, wait, why, uh, why? is it is somebody does does Cam Fleming come to mind or something? Well, last year Kevin Zeidler was kind of my guy. Oh, Zeidler? You know, okay. He, that was my mentor. But right now it would definitely be Nate Solder. Okay. The, the the true veteran in the room right now. Uh so I yeah. assume what's what's that like having him back, by the way? I mean, now that we're now that it's, brought that it's up. great. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. You know, uh, I didn't get a chance to meet him or opportunity to meet him this last year. So meeting him this year for the first time, it's, it's been great. You know, I've heard a lot of great things about him and a lot of the, the film we were watching last year, he was on there. So it's, it's finally nice, you know, put a name or a face to the name and uh, right. great, great people, man. Outstanding yeah. human being glad to have him back. He's uh great in the room. And I, I like, I like picking his brain. Nobody's going to, tell you bad things about Nate Solder that they don't like him as Absolutely. an individual. He's a solid without guy. a doubt. You're get you there's a something about to go down at the bar, right? There's about to be some kind of fight. Who who do you who do you need to make sure is by your side? Will Hernandez. <laughs> Will Hernandez. Okay, why Will? Uh I think you know he's he's a tough guy, you know, and I think if you look at Will, you you probably won't want to mess with him. Big That's guy. True. He does. He looks like a bouncer. He does look like he, he's a very, yeah, he's a large human being. He has the bouncer look. I thought you might go Nick Gates. He does fight everybody on the field. So that is, has, yeah, that is true. I, has it, some he's experience. a close second. He's a close second. <laughs> All right. There's a plate of cookies, but there's only one left. Who is the guy that's most likely to grab that cookie? Ooh, Chad Slade. <laughs> Chad Slade. Okay. Chad Slade. You are, right, you're, you need a loan. You have a big purchase to make. You, you need you need some money. Who are you going to? Andrew Thomas, without a doubt. <laughs> Is that just because he's the first round pick? He, he he's a first rounder. Yeah, he's the first rounder. I mean, Nate Solder though. You didn't get. You might not know him that well true. yet, but Nate Nate true. Solder's on his third contract or something. That is true. But Andrew that. Andrew and I already have the relationship. So I, I feel okay. more comfortable asking him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You, you, you're looking for the plug. You know, you need to get on a list for a, a, a VIP party or you need these sneakers or whatever that only certain people can get. Who, who, who are you going to in the offensive line room? Who's the guy? That's, that's Gates. Nick Gates? That's Nick Gates. Yep. Wow. Nick Gates has the connects? Really? Mr. Vegas, Mr. Vegas. Oh, that's true. That's true. Did you guys go out to Vegas at all? You did, did, were you part of that group? I, I wasn't there at that group, but I I uh, was about to. But I think we plan something in the future, probably. All right. Well, yeah. I guess if I we ever need anything from Las Vegas, we'll go to Nick Gates. There we go. There yeah. we go. We got, we got yeah. a little little insight into the offensive line room. I'm going to take that and put it in my back pocket. I might I might need some of that later. In case like I ever yeah, need down a, the road. In case I ever need a the VIP service. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I ever go to Vegas. Yeah. I need, I need, I need a connection in Vegas. Get me, get me That's in true. somewhere. I'll call yep. Nick Gates. But now nah, Shane, man, I appreciate it. Wish you yeah, all the luck in, in year two. I hope year two is uh, even more successful than year one for you. And I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, 
I think that PFF's grade is BS. Okay. So I'm out, <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm out here fighting for you. You, you weren't perfect last year, but 16.9. Come on. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a little ridiculous. You don't have to say anything. Don't worry. I got you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it though. Appreciate it, man. Have a good one. Robert half research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And... Boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. That was second-year guard Shane Lemieux right there. I'm going to have to start my campaign towards pro football focus in their unfair treatment of Lemieux and hope that it does not continue into year two. But uh, let's be honest. I mean, I've, like I said before, I saw it with Evan Mathis. When they love or just seem to not like a guy, it doesn't seem to change. It seems to uh, always fall and tilt in that direction. But uh, anyway, like you said, not important, just – just was uh, something that, I, I mean, it was hard not to notice this past year. Something else that was hard not to notice, and I, this will be the Jordan on the beat part of this episode, where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants, work for ESPN, cover the NFL in general. Something that, for me, that was hard not to notice was, all right, so Ben McAdoo gets hired by the Dallas Cowboys. We know, rival of the Giants, so forth. And the comments that I see on social media after that about McAdoo just, you know, keeps kicking the guy and, you know, say, Oh, the Cowboys. Oh, how could they get worse? You know, McAdoo't, McAdoo do. And just like, so I take it into my own hands and, and I always feel the urge on this one because I think it's kind of ridiculous. And now let me say this. I understand Ben McAdoo did a terrible job in that 2017 season. And he made a lot of big mistakes. And it got him fired. Probably deservedly. I mean, you can't alienate the whole fan base with the Eli thing, benching him for Geno Smith. The fact that they didn't take that into consideration, you know, you get what you kind of deserve on that one because once the fan base turns your back on you like the way they did, it was going to be hard to bring him back. Especially with as bad as the season was going and the whole team fell apart. We, we don't need to rehash all that. But the reason I feel inclined to defend him, and I did again, and I, this isn't the first time, he wasn't, he's not as bad as everyone makes him out to be. Now, personally, I liked him as an individual. I know he had this ridiculous approach, and it made him unlikable publicly. That was his philosophy. He was going to be a hard ass, stand in front of the microphone, not tell you anything, be kind of cold and and just like robotic, really. And 
I like him personally, so I know that's not necessarily exactly who he is. Now, he's a little socially awkward, I think. You know, he's not the most uh, open and natural communicator. And that ultimately came back to bite him in the butt. But the idea that he cannot coach and that people are saying, you know, the Cowboys are screwing themselves by hiring him is silly. You're talking about a guy who put in, what, 15 solid years of coaching, had one horrific year, and he's a moron. He's an idiot. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. I mean, come on. His first two years with the Giants, let's, let's go back for a second. His first two years with the Giants as coordinator, first of all, Tom Coughlin signed off and brought him in as a coordinator. So he thought highly enough of him to have him come in and run the offense and take it over, right, and be more modern than Tom Coughlin ever wanted, really, really, really wanted to be. So he comes in and really resurrects Eli for a little bit because Eli was, was kind of a, off a horrible season. What did he throw, like 27 interceptions here before McAdoo came in? He, and so they needed to fix that. That was like a priority. And Eli did. He had a pretty good, what, 2014, 2015 seasons. Now, the defense was horrific. They stunk. And the Giants couldn't win games. But the offense under McAdoo as a coordinator was pretty darn good. And then his first year as head coach, the offense wasn't great. And, you know, his stuff looked like it was getting a little stale, McAdoo. But at the same time, you can't say he did a bad job coaching. He knew the offense wasn't good. He squeezed the defense as much as possible. He limited the offense. He he basically made them, uh, you know, a, a team that was going to win on their defense and just get enough from their offense. He knew what their strengths and weaknesses were. They went 11-5, and five, and he did a lot well. So he has three good years with the Giants. I don't know how you could look at any of those three seasons for him. Looking at him at the time, we went back and looked at, the, at all the archives. I don't think anyone's going to say he was doing poorly. Like his offense was a little problematic in 2016, even though they went 11-5. and five. But he did a pretty good job as a head coach. I don't know how you could say otherwise. And then he did a terrible job in 2017, and it got him fired. But the idea that he's a horrible coach and just an idiot, a moron, which, trust me, if you look at my mentions, you see, that seems to be the case. I just, I just don't think that's true. And I think it's kind of silly that this is the narrative about the guy. He put out 15 or so good years. He was considered a quality coach in Green Bay. Helped, you know, work with Brett Favre and then uh, helped played a big part in the development of a guy named Aaron Rodgers and was very trusted and well thought of by Mike McCarthy and Green Bay when they were very successful. Brought in by Tom Coughlin and the Giants. Does pretty well his first three years. Did well enough his first two years to get an interview with the Eagles for their head coaching job and land the Giants head coaching job. Does a pretty good job his first year. I mean, I don't care what you say. 11-5 and five is 11-5. and five. Granted, he had some players, but hey, there's been guys with good, that have had good players before that have screwed it up. And then he was terrible that 2016 season. No arguments there. But it irks me that all the comments are that he's terrible coach. Horrible. Wouldn't want him anywhere near my organization or coaching anyone. Silly. So that's why I felt inclined to defend Ben McAdoo. Probably went on too long there. Speaking about Ben McAdoo, everyone wants to turn the page. We're on the Joe Judge era. And I think Joe Judge, personally, I know I listed their year one records. And I think, personally, Joe Judge is going to be a really good coach. I'm high on Joe Judge. I liked I the fact that I mentioned McAdoo and his uh, the way he communicated as being part of his decline. That's partly why I that's a problem. Maybe the number one reason that in the intention to detail and is just the way he teaches and coaches of why I think Joe Judge 
is ultimately going to be a very successful head coach is that he has an innate way to interact and relate to people in a way that I didn't see with either of the previous two coaches on a regular basis. I'm talking about Pat Shermer and Ben McAdoo. Like Joe Judge knows how to talk to people. Like he'll MF you, then he'll put his arm around you in a way that you, you know, it's believable. He just, and he just knows he's, he's blunt and honest with you. And you appreciate that. And when you talk to him, you just want to believe what he's saying. So I do think he's going to be a successful head coach. I'm just, I was just pointing out, and my idea was not to point out anything about Joe Judge and his pretend his potential success. It was to point out that Ben McAdoo, after his first year, wasn't considered a moron and a terrible coach. He was. Giants went 11-5. and five. They pretty much maxed out that year. They were what they were going to be. They weren't going to be a great team. And the next year, we kind of saw that that was never going to be a great team, and it blew up in their face. So that's it of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, like, subscribe, tell your friends. We're growing. We're moving up in the world. Jump on. Be here for the ride. As uh, Davey Day Trader says, to the moon. Anyway, you know how to reach me. All social aspe- all social uh, platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, you know, email. You know where to find me. I'm Jordan Ronan. You're listening to Breaking Big Blue. See you next time. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.